This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork, Devonshire Square. This is episode 41. Our baby hit the big 4-0 last week, and now we're growing up. It's catchy up with me here. <laughs> so I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and today's show is a chat about drone insurance. I am joined by my co-host, Nigel Walsh. How are we today, Nigel? I'm enjoying the sunshine. It's beautiful out. I think we talked about the weather last week when it was absolutely pouring down. I think. Right? Oh, God, okay. Yep. We're having a classic British conversation about the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, drone insurance is a topic we've been excited about since we started the show. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get the episode together, but to help us dive right in, we have some experts to tell us a bit more. So our first guest today is Anton Penner, founder of Flock. How are you today, Anton? Very well, thank you. Very excited for being here. Could you give us a bit of an overview about Flock, what Flock is and what it does? Absolutely. In one line, we insure drones, but we do it slightly differently to how the industry does it, mainly in two points. We are big believers of providing very flexible insurance. So we've got a pay-as-you-fly option, we've got a flexible subscription option option as well, and we just launched an enterprise product. And all of this um, are powered by our risk intelligence technology that basically taps into a ton of data sources to quantify their risk of any given drone flights and then underwrite fairly at the back of it so you only pay for what you need and for the risk you undertake brilliant we'll get into some that a bit more later and we're also joined by sophie winwood who's back again how are you today sophie very good thank you happy to be back um so you are uh, these days an associate investor at anthemus mm-hmm. could you give us a little bit of an overview or some insight perhaps into what anthemus has to do with drone insurance yeah absolutely so um kind of on a more high level we are really interested in how uh, drones can support and help the insurance industry be that sort of um, within the claims department, be that sort of surveying different areas. There's lots of really cool use cases, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then, of course, uh, the most important thing is through our investment in Flock. So um, we invested in these guys, um, really kind of mainly awesome team, Anton, Ed, great founders, um, but also the fact that this amazing sort of real-time risk engine that Flock has um, to price with drone insurance is really, really cool. Not only just for drones, but actually for a lot of different other lines of business. So you can see it being applicable to sort of marine, um, to aviation. Scooter. Scooter, exactly, mobility. So um, yeah, as much as we are super excited about the drone insurance, I was reading somewhere it's it's like 76,000 drones are going to be in the UK within the next three years or something crazy like that so obviously a really exciting and growing industry just by itself or perhaps slightly scary so let's let's take this right back to the beginning um when we talk about drone insurance i think that there are two different things we can be talking about we can be talking about insuring drones and we can be talking about using drones in the insurance industry more broadly so um anton do you want to give us a bit more insight into Nigel, you're going to correct me. I'm just going to say, is there one more one as well where we say don't just insure the pilot, but actually the people around you that you're going to then potentially engage with, not necessarily engage with, but God forbid something happens and there's a liability claim, is the third group, the third party in all this? 
Is that something that, that Flock does, Anton, or is that, you know, do you want to address that from, I was going to point to you first, so. We do first and last, so I, I can cover that, or you can. <laughs> no, Anton, please, you're the expert, you cover that. Yeah, definitely, you do it. So we do the former. Uh, we ensure the drone and anything, any damage the drone can cause, right? So the, the, our policies cover the gadget itself, the, the equipment uh, that the aviation industry has has named it as whole insurance. And we also cover the third-party liability. Any damage that flying object can cause in either other people or buildings around them or cars, vehicles, etc., and so what about the other type of insurance then? So that's a very specific, well, not that specific, but that's, that's quite a specific proposition. What other examples are there with sort of the middle group, if you like, where you can use drones within the insurance industry? So if you mentioned a few, do you want to sort of expound on those? Yeah, so I think what's really interesting about drones is that they can be used throughout the whole sort of insurance life cycle. So you can use it at the beginning when you're assessing risk. Um, you can then use that data to sort of price that risk, and then you can use it at the end with with claims. So or even midterm adjustments, right? If you go and exactly. something's changed or the roof been damaged, go look at it, right? Yeah, and and this the 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 roof inspection. Is, a, is an amazing example of how much value drone can add. You know, previously people would have to get up on, on ladders and look at roofs or you'd have to fly helicopters or planes over. And so actually using drones in that sort of respect um, can reduce cost quite significantly and also probably increase the, the granularity and quality of that data. Um, so that's a, a great use case. The, the other one that's that's quite interesting is is within the agriculture industry. So um, now you can use drones. I mean, farmers have been using drones for a while now to assess their crops and to cover large sort of areas. And now insurers can use that to to more to better kind of gather um, data around around risk. It's also if you think about it, I, I remember it was quite a few years ago, probably before I even got into this whole space, that I was sitting down at a. FT event with a, a guy from Channel 4 on one side and a guy from insurance on the other side. And at the event, they flew a drone indoors through the thing saying, here's some cool things that we're going to do. And actually, the use case for it was um, the second one around crops. And I'll come back to it in a second. It's actually quite fascinating. Um, but the, I said to the insurance guy, so where, where would we use that in insurance being completely new to the whole space? And he said straight away, what about the inside of a hull? So if you're in marine insurance, you don't want to send people or whatever else inside these uh, dangerous situations and want to get insides out in a really quick way. It was a great a great example of, actually, let's not put a human being at risk. Let's put a drone at risk. Yeah. And if it goes up, it's either 99 quid or 400 quid or lots more money, depending if you've got a commercial drone, um, as to whether these, these things go um, get, go out of service or not. The actual use case, though, was back to your agricultural one. I keep forgetting. I always seem to default back to property inspections or whatever else. But actually, it was used in a competition where there was people set to say, tell me when my crops are, are ripe. And the first group ran in and took pictures looking up at the coconut trees. The second group ran in, it was three teams. Second group ran in, put a ladder up, went up and checked the, the, checked the crop. The third group had 24 by seven drones literally flying over the field and used thermal, thermal imaging to work out whether they were ripe or not. So it was a fascinating way to go. They're now oh, good yeah. to go, off you go. It's so innovative, right? Yeah. So, so let's let's bring it back to to the the, the insurance of drones, and then and bring it back out a bit. I think this is when this conversation is going to expand and contract. But um, when we, you know, the, those are the kind of the, the endless possibilities. But if we're talking about a drone that anybody listening might own at home, because they are, as we we're just talking about, they're quite affordable. 
why can't I just insure that on my contents insurance? Why can't I just, you know, add it to, to my home insurance? Very good question. So first of all, drones are classified as aircrafts by the Civil Aviation Agency. So you, you would need an insurance to um, an aviation policy level um, to, to make sure that, that that's covered accordingly, right? And is, and is that for all drones, even if I've got one of the sort of 100 quid pocket-sized ones as opposed to the... So the, the connotation here or the detail here is that uh, if you're a commercial operator aka you're flying for money basically that's that's the high level definition um you have to have an insurance policy that um covers a bunch of very detailed requirements set by the european regulator right if you're a hobbyist if if you're flying for fun at the moment there's no insurance requirements uh, but you would be liable for any damage you you um, generate with with that drone right so we offer three different types of policies, one for commercial operators that answers to the, the legal requirements of, of insurance, one for recreational uh, pilots that covers the third party mainly, any damage they may generate with, with that. And we also provide a third one for training pilots that are basically going from being a recreational pilot to a commercial pilot. It's an interesting question there, and I don't know if anyone around this table can answer it, but there are plenty of recreational pilots out there who I've seen who are not exactly in control. What happens if they, and they're dangerous, some of these things. My colleague who sits next to me said, you're doing drone insurance today. And I said, yes. And he held up his hand. And I said, what's that? And he tried to grab my boyfriend's drone. <laughs> and he's got this like huge slice in his finger. Now that was, you know, his own, you know, he yeah, admitted yeah. that was his own fault. But what if you are flying a recreational drone and you hurt somebody else? Like They're actually in the news quite a lot. So I, I have have a similar incident where I nearly chopped the top of my finger off with a drone by trying to catch my own drone. And <laughs> you don't realise, when you hold the thing individually, that they're, they're lightweight, they're great. You don't realise how quick these things move. And my God, it hurt for quite a while. Um, the most recent one in the press was, uh, I think, I, it's not recent actually, I saw a, where a baby's eye had been sliced oh, out. Wow. I, I, honestly, you just have to Google incidents with drones and you don't No, don't see. Google that. Right, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> But there are many, many things out there. But there is no requirement whatsoever for a personal person to have um, uh, insurance in the same way that you, know, you could argue. I could be cycling down the road. And I don't necessarily need insurance if I run into someone. If I'm cycling at 20 or 30 miles an hour and I hit you, equally it's going to hurt just as much. So it's really, really um, quite a contentious point. Now, folks, there's a decent drone code that's out there, which I'm sure we'll go into in a minute. Um, there's a a number of recreational um, flying clubs out there that offer drone insurance for people, which covers some of the liability stuff. Um, I guess the other question is, how many claims have been made? Never mind how many accidents. We know there's loads of accidents, but how many claims have been made for people that have been crashed into, landed upon, or flown into, or whatever else? I, I have no idea. So I can speak about our own case. Yeah. Um, we've had no liability claims so far, um, and, and we believe that this is mainly... Um, because of how seriously we take the, the risk mitigation side of things, right? We, as, uh, as you know, if you've played with our app, you'll see how we constantly help you understand what the risks are and, and how you can mitigate them. So far, no liability claims, neither from commercial or recreational pilots. That's amazing. I don't know what um, the situation is with other... <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I think the fact that people are buying insurance in the first place indicate a level of sensibility that they want to protect the kit that they're, they're, doing for, they're using first and foremost. And secondly, actually, we don't want to do it in an area that's full of children or other people or anything like that. So 
Absolutely. I think it's worth noting that there are already some countries that require insurance for every single uh, drone flight, right? No yeah. matter the type of operator you're. Germany, for example, um, has a legal requirement for mm -hmm. anyone that, that flies drones. And we believe that that will slowly start expanding to other territories as I, well. I was going to say that that seems to me, um, what I'm also thinking about is um, going back to cash insurance, one of my favorite subjects. Um, as in meow. <laughs> no, Nigel, we've been through this. <laughs> you're the cat. Um, the shutting down Gatwick Airport, for two days because of a drone. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. surely, the, surely Gatwick Airport has now had to go to whoever its insurer is and go, maybe you can speak a little bit, Sophie, I don't know, but like, help, we need, you know, cover for mm. what our airport, the airport was covered for shutdown for fire and rain and acts of God and whatever else, but some idiot flying a drone. Yeah, exactly. Well, how, do you, how do you deal with that? And, it, you know, it costs, I, I can't remember the axe figure, but it costs a lot of money for mm. them. And I think that, I there's a really interesting here sort of um, role for insurance in this, which is drones is a very is emerging industry. Uh, regulation is still sort of being formed. I think a lot of regulators have tended to sort of say, well, actually, we're going to uh, think that this is a really bad thing and we're kind of going to over-regulate it. Whereas insurance could have a really interesting role in actually helping the industry self-regulate itself. So Flock tells you when to fly, what's safe and if it is unsafe then it will up the price and you probably won't do it so hopefully that will help so you use drones. the risk insights that you get to say actually don't fly now because it's high wind or fly later whatever yeah, it might be exactly sorry did you want to yeah i think it is worth noting that in our case and, and back to the gadwick example um we will stop you from flying um close to an airport for example Right. I don't think the Gatway case was a case where the pilot didn't know they were flying next to an airport. It was deliberate. <laughs> yeah. 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 If for some reason um, someone was actually too close and they didn't realize they could expose themselves to an accident with a plane, for example, we would stop them from you flying. You just made me think, does your policy therefore uncover in, or include things like cyber and terrorism? So, yes, it does, uh, mainly because one of the requirements of that European uh, insurance regulation in the aviation space requires it. So we cover um, hijack and terrorism risks. Yes. Well, wow. I just was going to um, talk there uh, about the, the talking about the, to me, that sounds like a future. So you're, you're, it's a future risk. So insurance, we, we quite often talk about like it's um, something that has happened in the past. So you're claiming that something has already happened. And a lot of the time you're also using historical data to underwrite those, to mm -hmm. those policies. Whereas with drone insurance, when we're talking about insuring the, the drones themselves, the people around them, a lot of it to me feels very future looking. So to the one hand, it's quite, you know, the obvious future looking, don't fly today. There's very high winds. The likelihood of you killing somebody or somebody's dog is, you know, mm -hmm. too high. Don't, it's not worth it. Um, but also how, how about the, the data picture? So you talked about your risk modeling uh, mm -hmm. engine. I'd like to know a little bit more about that because you can't have that much data to build you can't have that much historic data to build this on i'm guessing so that that's a very very interesting point and the main reason why we started working in this area right if if you look at any other high volume market you will always have a ton of historical data to um run actual science on right in any new market like the, the drones market there's no such data so there's there's no understanding of what could actually happen if your only strategy is to look 
back, right? That's why we started building a set of algorithms that would actually look into the context, the ability of the pilots, um, how weather looks like, for example, around you, um, to, to try to build a very scientific picture of the real risk around that flight, right? If we look at the, the drone space, we can see how um, drone insurance um, started becoming a thing in the UK. Prices skyrocketed very, very quickly because no one really knew what they were covering, mm -hmm. right? As soon as we came in and we provided that analytical, mathematical view of risk, without mm -hmm. that historical data, we managed to actually provide a more fair pricing model that um, remunerated or incentivized safety and in a way, um, let's say, penalized um, negligent behavior, right? And just, I want to talk a little bit about how that model can be used um, elsewhere, which you mentioned at the beginning, Sophie, but um, this might be a very stupid question, but can you take historical data from things like helicopter flights? Mm. Can you can you use other data sources to feed into that model? I'm only thinking about helicopters because they're the same thing I can think of that's got rotary blades on top as well. Um, but but can, is that, is that a thing that happens? That's that's definitely one of the strategies we've, okay. we've followed here, right? When when looking into the drone space and what risk was, there are a ton of research projects looking into the mathematical uh, probabilities of planes having accidents, of um, helicopters behaving in specific um, ways depending on where they are um, or depending on the, the wind forces, etc. right? So all of that scientific research is what's underneath the, the set of technology we've, we've built, absolutely. Okay, so it wasn't that stupid a question then. No, so oh. I wasn't laughing one bit. That <laughs> <laughs> one was very kind. It was, I, I'm, I'm actually laughing to myself because we keep talking about drones and it's the right way to, 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 to call about them or, or to frame them. But I once got called out by someone saying to me, Nigel, you do realise drones are actually armed combat things as opposed yeah. to UAVs, which are... They can be, they can be. But I think the the given name that the everyday user, i.e. us, calls them are drones, and it's acceptable to say that these are unarmed flight things <laughs> with cameras. Mm -hmm. Yeah, though it depends if you grab the blades, apparently they are quite dangerous. <laughs> um, That's just stupidity. <laughs> um, just to decide, just possibly take, I, think, I believe a famous singer did that on the stage. I think it might have been uh, Enrique Iglesias, who yes. was uh, yes. lost oh, like yes. two fingers or something. I put my hand in the air for the listeners who have, I'm just recreating <laughs> the movement. He was on stage in front of loads of people and he put his hand up to grab the groan. And I think he, he had ended up to cancel his gig. because Is that similar to what happened to you, Nigel? No, I've stuck all my fingers. <laughs> I'm never on stage that makes the big stage on that. So. So, sometime I'll tell you about an ex-colleague of mine who put his hand into the back of his lawnmower whilst it was running. We can't insure against that. We, yeah. We, yeah, that's, that's the agriculture that's issue. Yeah. Um, to, to go back to the, the, the salient point there, so that's that's the model that you have and it's working very well for drone insurance and, and you've sort of linked you know, where, where you're getting those data from and how you're building those models. Um, but as we said, it, it, because it's a new type of model and because you're using data in a different way, you've got different sort of underwriting, if you like, what else can we use this for? So, so if you, do, you, do you want to get, um, expand on a few of those things yeah. you mentioned earlier? Yeah, and I, I think like one of the really super exciting things about Flock is that um, it moves insurance into like something that I get really excited about, which is more of this like um, preemptive, proactive insurance rather than reactive. So um, that if it is you know unsafe, risky to fly, then we will tell you and we will inform you. And some of the other things, I mean, you can kind of see. Um, for example, taking out sailing boats. Um, so 
the hyper-local weather that Flock uses can be really interesting in, if you want to go out and, and understand sort of your risk of sailing on a specific day in a specific area. That's cr- pretty exciting. Um, obviously, kind of translates pretty well to, to other aviation things, maybe your helicopters, <laughs> um, maybe others. And, and actually, you know, I know that it's a, a pretty robust established industry, but motor, you know, and, and mobility. Yeah. And what, and what comes into my mind before we get Nigel started on scooters and the need for insurance um, is uh, even sort of uh, hill walking. So hill walking is a very, very old pastime. and um, Niche. I, it's not that niche. The number of people who've died this yeah, year. So my point being climate change has meant that people who historically knew what they were doing when they were going out onto mountains no longer have reliable patterns because they expect to go out in May and to be safe and there's a sudden mm-hmm. snowstorm so it's not that niche yeah, that is true actually didn't the segway found the die on the cliff yeah by he going went off back the edge. yeah that's just stupid yeah again. again my point was that if you're talking about predicting risk and weather is important there are a huge number of sports you could talk about skiing you could talk about you know block climbing i'm i'm interested in this idea of predictive and it's just the way you know predictive insurance yeah, yeah, yeah. because we talk an awful lot about it when we're talking about home insurance right that's what we tend to talk about it like you've got a leak do something now before you have to call a plumber but the idea of using it for sort of sporting activities and driving hadn't occurred to me until we start talking about it today now would you like to talk about scooters no <laughs> are you sure I don't like scooters no but but your point about motor and things i mean it, if you look at the, 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 I mean, we're moving away from drone slowly, but the, but the advent of LiDAR and all these things, everything's starting to look ahead. There's a video on YouTube about how a Google car sees the road and the amount of data points that it can see is far greater than any human capability and far broader, wider. The spectrum, the insights is amazing. And I go back to the stuff that you talked about the, at the very beginning, Anton, around actually, is this a real-time data processing platform? Actually, and I think I, I, I've, you and I and Ed spoke about this a long time ago, is are we going to be a drone insurance company forever? Or are we going to use this amazing technology that we've built to apply it to other things, such as scooters? So you've got location, you've got um, real-time insights, you know where things are going. It's no different than flying a, uh, doing a flight for 15 minutes and jumping on a scooter for 15 minutes, is it? That's a rhetorical question, Nigel. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, this this is something we're we're now looking into. We're we're working with a bunch of underwriters, exploring other industries, other verticals, and other risks. I think it's worth uh, talking about how everything works without disclosing too much. Yeah, um, and is that risk and the understanding of risk hasn't inherently changed yeah um or, or at least we haven't changed it right the the truth is that the the foundations or the or the base of um how risk is calculated is, is not changed by uh, us or our algorithms right we look into these two uh, basic concepts that are um the probability and severity of of the risk and we use that to then look into how we price that right what we do at that point is bring third-party data sources. Historically, um, these two blocks or concepts would be calculated with historical data. Um, with us, we calculate the probability and the severity by using third-party data sources. So it doesn't really matter if we're looking at a drone or a plane or a scooter, um, as long as we get hold of the data sources that actually inform the the, the risk of um, driving, flying this yeah, vehicles. Yeah. But you've, 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 you've gone back to, I can say you've quite a few times then, you've gone back to um, 
the broader debate that I have around is every insure tech solving the core system challenge. And you've basically highlighted in my mind that you've built better technology, faster, more efficient, lack of legacy, leveraging third-party data that can be applied to anything. It actually sounds better when you say it. <laughs> Don't tell him that. <laughs> but that's my point. My, my point is insurers, banks, they are riddled with legacy or heritage technology that just means it's slower to do stuff. And if I go to a modern platform like yourself that has multiple um, applications, then outstanding. Absolutely. I think it, it is worth uh, mentioning that by changing the way we, we calculate risk, we're not just optimizing books, we're not just providing uh, more fair pricing, we're also unlocking new uh, ways of distributing insurance, right? Like if you're able to have an, an actor in a box, basically, and um, come up with a very smart price for every single risk, suddenly you can either automate the whole process or have third-party partners such as flight schools in, in the drone space or uh, flight clubs, as you said before, or that rental company that gives you a scooter selling insurance for you, right? So suddenly the game is completely changed by the way you underwrite. So, But you, you are underwritten by a partner, right? Is it Alli Allianz? Correct. So in, in the drone space, um, yes, we're, we're underwritten by Allianz and, and we broke insurance, we distribute insurance directly, right? It is true that we're looking into other models and we'll probably disclose um, how that model looks um, shortly. So, so actually, so when Nigel's obsessed with core systems. Is he? Yeah. He hasn't yet mentioned the V word, the, the V phrase, but we'll, we'll see if we get to that. Um, the uh, the fact that a lot of insure insure techs have have this brilliant technology, but you you are still underwritten by by the big players. And I I for one would like to see people succeed without that happening. I'm not saying it has to be you, but I I was just trying to thinking through the the, the value chain in my head as to kind of that's the last step mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Um, but you saying that you know you're exploring other models, and I will come back to you on that when but it's why, public. <laughs> why wouldn't Allianz do it directly? That is a very good question. And uh, that is They're core something systems, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> very good answer. I shall leave it there. <laughs> On the V word, I'm not going to mention it, but is there a view in your mind that at some point you expand out? I look at people like Haggerty in North America that did classic car insurance. Mm -hmm. They then went and bought a sharing economy style rental platform for sharing your vehicles with other people. Is there a thing that says, actually, we're going to enable from Flock you to come to us not just get the insurance, but get the drone and get the person to go do the survey at the same time? Or is there partnerships and an ecosystem together there? I think the way we see us interacting with the industry is by becoming part of that industry, right? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be that we own everything, yeah. but we do like working with players that are already embedded and maybe incumbents is not the right word here, um, to provide smart insurance within an existing workflow, right? Let's say you go to a retailer and buy a drone, as you probably did, and insurance is part of it, or it comes with some form of code. It's embedded and invisible, right? You get the first month free or you get X number of hours flying time free of charge. I looked at my stats the other day and the amount of time that I've flown is actually very depressing. Um, but you could do it by number of days or flying time. So actually you've always got peace of mind. Actually in the kit that I've got, it's a DJI kit, standard sort of um, off-the-shelf stuff. 
But what you get is it actually tells you where you can and where you can't fly back to a point about airports. So I live near a small, regional, tiny little um, recreational airfield. And if I go too far down the road, it says you can't fly because you're too close to the two-mile mark or whatever it might be. So you get an alert on your phone that tells you. Off. It actually stops me taking off. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. So with things like scooters, like, you're on a pavement, pal. Um, <laughs> stall the, the scooter. Yeah, I would... Oh, my God. Just as it Can you imagine? today. But there was one of the scooter companies, I can't remember where it was, in San Francisco, where an electronic one, where the brakes Bird. were failing. Oh. And the brakes were failing. And then the other thing it had was it was suddenly accelerating. So these scooters oh were like, had like, in somewhere like San Francisco, where there are a huge number of yeah. hills. Um, and it was kind of like, you're just saying, suddenly stalling. Um they would need insurance for accidents. Um, just to, to sort of come back to the point of that kind of value chain and who's doing what where, what about investors? So Anthemus, you know, you'll, you, you have a close relationship with Flock in particular, um, but kind of is, is the drone insurance either sort or any sort something that, that you're particularly interested in right now, whether that's companies that are using drones to help with catastrophe insurance or, you know, uh, loss insurance or whether that's, you know people who are actually insuring drones. Is that a particular area of interest to, to investors generally? Yeah, so I think so. So I, I was looking at some stats. Oh, we love stats. Yep. Um, and um, there was a report that said that drones could add £42 billion pounds to UK GDP by 2030. Wow. And that the, it, the report estimates that 628,000 people will be working in the drone economy by 2030. As in well. the UK? In the UK. Wow. Yeah, which is, it's a lot, right? So... There was a thing, just to play onto that, there was a thing about loss adjusters, about how drones will, will pretty much remove the industry entirely. So you could argue those jobs haven't been taken away by a robot or a drone or whatever, yeah. but they've just shifted to a different place. Yeah. Are those the, the loss adjusters, the people who would go out and take a picture of your house? Correct. So they're the guys that will do exactly the, the assessment to work out what loss has been um, they need to look at. And they're the guys that you mentioned earlier that would go up a ladder or take pictures or walk around the building or whatever else. Okay, right. Yeah, and so it's 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 kind of a little bit sort of like AI, which is it might not be completely kind of destroying jobs, but it's just moving the talent that is needed for specific jobs. So, you know, that it's all around the sort of... Um, again, sort of how we use drones and the knock-on effect of that. So if you think about it just at a basic level, drones allow you to get aerial footage of X. So it may be um, real estate, it may be farms, it could be anything. So that's one part of it. So you need the drone suppliers to make the drones, you need the people to fly the drones. But once you've got that data, that's usually, you know, a lot of data that is not particularly interpretable. So you then need someone to translate that data into something meaningful. Then you will need companies who will go into specific companies who need that data and then be able to analyze it and use that data to help the company do X, Y, and Z. So for, you know, in insurance, it could be, uh, you know, claims or it could be risk. Um, you know, there are other use cases, uh, like film it uses it quite a bit, agriculture uses it a bit. So there's lots of different companies in the value chain of, of, of drones that we find really interesting. And then uh, the same with any kind of industry, technology is evolving so quickly. You know, there are, there are autonomous drones now that, that will, um, there's, there's a drone in a box. So you, you put it in the middle of your farm and you set it to go off at, you know, once every week and it will fly around and it'll come back. And I think once we kind of figure out the beyond line of sight regulation, which, mm -hmm. you know, at the moment, no drone could be flown beyond the line of sight of the flyer. Interesting. The, the yeah. flyer? Is that the right word? Pilot. 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 Operator. <laughs> Operator. I would there like... Naval aviator. The flyer. No? 
Flyer okay. is fine. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um. <laughs> Anton and I are laughing. It's not a flyer. 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 flyer is the thing you give to someone through a nightclub. Correct. Right? The yeah. pub tonight. Here's a flyer. <laughs> okay. Pilot. 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 Um, so that obviously <laughs> restricts some of the use cases, but I think, I hope that, that and I know you can get um Sometimes you can get um, exemptions from that regulation. But I, I assume as the drone industry evolves and matures, we'll be able to get past that. I think I think it's worth mentioning that there are already a bunch of companies in the UK with exemptions from okay. the CAA to run tests, the online of sites. Uh, some of them are, are operating commercially. Um, so the, the industry and, and the country is definitely moving towards that scenario, I don't think that's a futuristic landscape mm. we're imagining that that will happen in the next two, three years. It, it's funny, I, I, cause I, I'm a member of a couple of Facebook groups for um, the DJI Mavic Pro. It's always, I know, Sarah's <laughs> done. It's just, my wife laughs at so many things. Don't join her. Anyway. You set yourself up. I know, I know, I know. Anyway, but, but I'm only a member because I'm such a novice flyer pilot <laughs> that I want to know what the tips and tricks are. These guys do some amazing videos. The thing that always makes me laugh was none of these guys that post these super cool videos ever have the drone in line of sight. I mean, you literally people do, mm. look how far yeah. I've been. I've been out seven kilometers and back again. I can't see like 100 meters, never mind seven kilometers. So there's some really cool things out there, but I think there's a blatant disregard for the rules. Yeah. Presumably there's also a, a how high up can you go because some of the, the po- very powerful drones, presumably you can go out of the line of sight isn't above the clouds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, the- nowadays, drones are definitely way more powerful than what you can legally do, right? So it is It is fairly easy to just start flying and keep going, 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 and oh, by you wouldn't realise um, yeah. you just broke the rules. It's fairly classic. The technology has outpaced the, the legislation. Absolutely. Is it any different than a car being able to go faster than 70 miles an hour? Yeah. It's no different, right? You could argue, you could, and actually some of the cars now actually limit you to certain amounts of certain speeds, but they're never limited to the speed limit. Yeah, it's always a few. They've actually done that deliberately. It has to be like five miles an hour over so that you can overtake or in an emergency or whatever else it is. Um, Just, I had one more more question before we need to start wrapping up, which is we talked quite a lot about the personal use of drone and commercial use of drones. I just wanted to touch on the the sort of maybe pie in the sky idea of the likes of drone deliveries. So if you start looking at like, Amazon, I think it's Amazon, one of them are saying they're going to like deliver your parcels via drone so they can um, access inaccessible places. You know, you, you kind of laugh at it as, oh, that's a whim. But actually, there is a serious use case for that if you're trying to deliver, I don't know, aid to people in hard to reach places. Um, do we do we think that there's you know, that commercial model has has legs or wings or wings or rotary blades or we really haven't had that many of those puns? It's like, uh, I'm winging There's it. There's so today. many, so many. I know. Just, it will never take off. <laughs> that just flew right over me. Just, Nigel hasn't been droning on at all. <laughs> um, commercial drones, deliveries, commercial deliveries. Yeah, so it is definitely something that's happening. We all hear about Amazon trying to do these things, but there are a ton of companies trying to um, either test different applications or, or run different um, trials. Mm-hmm included in the UK, right? So there's a company called Skyboards that's doing a fantastic job um, of running a bunch of these tests to demonstrate that it is possible. They already have an exemption um, and, and we'll see them soon um, running some of this um, trial. So looking forward to it, um, I don't know what. My favorite story from this was 1st of May this year, we delivered, in, we the US delivered the first organ, which was a kidney, 
Um, the, the flight took five minutes. It was all approved and whatever else through regulation. But when they're now starting to investigate moving uh, organs and, and um, medical stuff through drone pi- uh, drone flights in in a fashion, first of May on the news, absolutely everywhere. Seeing that take off, no pun intended. I think it's really important because you see the bikes going around town getting stuck in traffic or blue lighted through things to save lives. That's amazing, right? Well, I mean, so what my, yeah, my point was going to be, obviously, there is pro- in my mind, there's a need for exemptions in, in certain circumstances. It can benefit. And uh, I have a, a, I know somebody who works for Madison Frontier and they're talking about delivering vaccines and things into hard to reach areas because yeah, yeah. they have to be kept at a particular temperature. Yep. It's very hard to do that. And they're, they're very fragile. It's very hard to do that on the back of a van in a place that hasn't got roads. You do it via drone. It's much safer. But, what happens when we get to the point where the airs are congested? Like if the road's congested, what happens when we've got so many drones? If Amazon has its way and there are as many drones in the air as there are yodel drivers, it's going to be carnage up there. Has yeah. anybody thought about that yet? I think... Absol- oh. No, you go. Absolutely. That, that, that is a big topic in the industry. Um, and there are a bunch of companies working um, in, in that space. It, it is called the, the UTM, the UAV Traffic Management Project. <coughs> um, and NASA included is, is trying to, to um, resolve that, right? Google has a project and we've got a great company in the UK, Altitude Angel, that's also developing software for that. The idea is to be able to, to manage all of these flying uh, gadgets in a way that don't crash with each other. It is probably slightly early to think that the airspace will be overly congested by drones, but we definitely see it happening. Well, even if it's not overly congested, I mean, can you imagine if you have one of those medical drones that collides with an Amazon drone? So Amazon's bringing you your new, you know, whatever it is you've ordered, your your new digital toy, whatever Nigel's favorite toy is this week, his new iPhone probably if he's broken another one yet, (laughs) um, collides with, you know, a, a drone that's delivering a heart. That's hugely problematic. You've got to prioritise it accordingly. I mean, I, I don't think I'd have any objection to a drone delivering stuff to the house. I mean, at the moment, you could argue, there's so many arguments around carbon footprint and all that sort of good stuff to say, actually, it's much safer, better for the environment and what's not. I mean, we get, let's assume we get an Amazon delivery twice a week to the house or for whoever. If that was to turn up in the middle of, maybe you fly them at night. Maybe you do deliveries when everything else is quiet mm. and it still gets there in oh, short order. the noise though. Um, so you had a sensible point I'm sure Um, I was just going to say I was reading an article and they made um, the analogy of how you need uh, flight traffic controllers for aeroplanes and how many of them you need I can't remember the numbers so it's really frustrating but how many of them you need for how little flights and so if you think about that in in terms of the sky and drones then actually whoever's going to figure that out is going to play a very it's not a human task is it it needs to be done by machine learning yeah, by sure. technology and everything else yes yeah, absolutely good job NASA's involved then mm-hmm. there's How- a really cool project that Manchester Airport ran I think two three months ago um, trying to trial how um, automated traffic management um, could actually help airports uh, control these drones well when you look at the air traffic controllers I believe can only work for 10 minutes at a time because the job the intense concentration that's required yeah, to yeah. make sure that it's all right they're only allowed to work for, I can't remember what it is but I think it's like 10 minutes off 20, 20 10 minutes on 20 minutes off if you can get a machine doing that I mean yes we're putting people out of work but it feels safer right mm-hmm. well she says oh, <laughs> sure little, have you ever flown a drone no would you like to have a go Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good with, with, I assume you use them like as a, a, a like a, a, like a game controller or something. Pretty like much. The joystick. Yeah, or you can just do, as Anton said, you can do um, line of sight. You could do, you can control it through the controller or through an iPhone or whatever else. So you can literally go fly from there to there to there to there and land and off you go. You can, and, 
you can tell to follow you. Yes. You can yeah, yeah. you can tell it to follow you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I like the idea of that. But we'll, we'll um, revisit that. But we like, should just I'll as, a, as a side, side note. Um so I got stuck in a um a drone YouTube poll this morning. That happens. And, um, that happens. And uh, did you know that there are drone like leagues and game like sporting events? We right? had in London recently, the drone yeah. championship. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Go and like Google that. It is insane. It looks so much fun. It is a massive, massive venture. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to leave us on a light note. Um, I am going to wrap up this round table. Laura has written me a pun. It has flown by. So thank you so much to everyone. Um, she was laughing as she was biting. I looked yeah. across and she was chuckling away to herself. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you? So if you've got a website or a Twitter handle you want to share with our listeners, Anton? Absolutely. It's a website, flockcover, C-O-V-E-R.com, flockcover. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, at flockcover. We'll be there. Perfect. Sophie? Uh, so if you want to get in touch with Anthemus, we are anthemus.com. And then on Twitter, I am at Sophie Winwood. And how about you, Nigel? I am at Nigel Walsh on Twitter. And you can find me at Sarah Kachansky on Twitter, as always. Uh, so that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to all of our guests, Anton, to Sophie, and to my co-host, Nigel. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.